0: This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ, in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. As many of you know, I'm not a huge fan of technology. However, our iPhones did the job this morning, didn't they? We're all here. They automatically move the time properly, right? And our alarms go off when they're supposed to. And yeah, we're here. That's good. Uh, also, I appreciate uh, the song leaders this morning, and uh, Derek, appreciate your prayer. And it is uh, a great honor. It's a great privilege to be able to express God's word to you the best I can. And I pray that I can. Uh, continue this trend of worship that we've started this morning. So uh, this topic that I'm going to speak on this morning has been something that I've been chewing on for, for quite a while now. And, it's, and it's, it's been tough because I've had to try to apply it to my life and see areas in my life where, if I'm honest, I have uh, not done a very good job. So that self-examination part has been difficult. I've had to walk my life out while trying to apply this principle or while trying to apply this, this quality. Uh, what we're gonna talk about this morning is highly complex and widely misunderstood. But I'll ask you this morning, who in here claims to have knowledge? Who in here claims to be great at what they do? We have a lot of talented people in here. I know, there's a lot of talent in this room. Maybe you're the smartest person in here. You know, there is one person that's the smartest in this room. (laughs) You ever thought about that? That's probably good if you haven't. But there's one person in here that's the smartest. And there's one person in this county that's the smartest. And one person in the United States that's really the smartest and then even Beyond that, there's one that's even the smartest in the entire world. Could you imagine being the smartest person in the world? Well, if you are the smartest person in the room this morning, I challenge you and say that your wisdom, your abilities are nothing. If you and all of us don't understand and get what I believe the one thing that God wants us to understand. Sounds complex, right? Just maybe. It's not just God, but it's that God is love. God is love. That's uh, something we're all familiar with, and no shocker to any of us, right? But as Difficult as it is for us to wrap our minds completely around God, it is also very difficult for us to completely wrap our minds around this phrase that God is love. It's challenging. Uh, so this is what I've been chewing on for, for quite a while now and has led me to uh, speak before you this morning. But I want to focus intently on this idea of love, this one word that I believe we in society today have taken into a butcher shop like we would a a full cow, and we've dissected it, and we've butchered it, and we've broken it up, and we've destroyed and changed completely what love is. So I want us to look at love from the lens the perspective all morning that God is love not just love but that God is love okay he is love that's how complex and challenging love is God is love Now, before we get into what love is, we'll talk about that. I want to talk about why is love so important? Obviously, it's important because God is love and he's important. But why is it so valuable that he himself is the author of it and that it's so important that he himself defines love? Why is it so important? Why is it so valuable? John does a really good job of defining love. He does a really good job of expressing its importance and its value. So let's read from what he says here in 1 John chapter 4. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Not only is God love, but love comes from Him. We can't know love. We can't be a part of love aside from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So the opposite might also be true. Whosoever loves not has not been born of God and does not know God. And this love God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So love is an estimation of whether God is in you or not. We we can use a ruler, a measuring stick to determine things. We can use a calculator. Love is God's measuring stick for whether or not we are in him, or whether or not he is in us. And that should be sobering this morning. And it has been to me over the past months as I've contemplated this topic. Why is it so important? Because it is a determination of whether or not we are even a part of God to begin with at all. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If we love one another, not if we're perfect. Not if we do this, this, and this, but if we love one another. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. John continues verse 16, he says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected within us, or with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. Uh, as someone stated this morning, I think in one of our songs that maybe Kaelin this morning about having no fear. Well, we find here that perfect love casts out fear. That God says, if you if you love me, or if you have my love, then then fear won't be present. There's no need for it. Its its value is diminished. It has no presence among us. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone loves, if anyone says, "I love God," but hates his brother, then he is a liar, for he does not know he does not love his brother, whom he has not. If he does not love his brother whom he has not seen, whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, all that to say to provide us, hopefully, with the importance of love. Why is it valuable? Because God says that without it we are not part of him. Without it, he is not part of us. Simple. That's how valuable love is. That's how important it is. We also find that in Colossians, Paul says this, "...put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive." And above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I love that verse. Love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Our relationships, though, though difficult at times, can be bound together simply because of God's love. And as we are going to explore this morning, that you know, love as we know it has been muddled and changed and and manipulated. Uh, Our kids are taught uh, a whole variety and array of definitions for the word word love. But God wants us to know that love casts out fear and love starts with Him. Love requires something uh, from us. Love is so important because God is love. And without it, we have nothing to do with Him. So what is this love? What is love as defined by God? Or what would He have us to know about what love is? What does it look like? Well, it's difficult for us because we... We all know how the world treats love. We know how we've treated love possibly in the past or how how it's, the definition of it has been uh, butchered. But pretend for a second that you could forget everything you know about the word love. Pretend that you could just lay aside like you've never even heard the word before. That's I, I want to build upon that, that having no idea of the word of love, I want to be able to let God define it this morning, to put first in our minds what love is. So try to pretend that you have no preconceived ideas of love and how it acts, how it feels, that we've never been on a date before, (laughs) never been married, right? All these preconceived ideas of love, toss them out the window. The great scholar and poet... Clint Black put it this way. <laughs> Love is not something that we have, it's something that we do. Wise man. Wise man. You know, I've, that Clint, that Clint Black has been one of my favorites from, from a long time back. And that phrase from that song has always stood out to me and uh, it's been something that, been part of my chewing process over the last few months love isn't something that we have it's something that we do so as we're repainting this picture of what love is in your mind let it first be the fact that love is not something that we have it's something that we do we'll start there that'll be our first stroke of the paintbrush. You know, with love comes a lot of tricky feelings and emotions. And unfortunately, often those are not accurate. Love has a much richer and deeper meaning than she made me feel loved or he made me feel loved, or you know, that first date, or somebody that makes you feel happy. And this is what we see in First Corinthians chapter 13, also known as what we consider the love chapter. Paul tells us that love is not merely a feeling, an emotion. But it's more about how we relate to others. How about how we relate to others. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as I say again, as I've been chewing on this, these verses have challenged me more than ever probably in my life. Uh, because this, this throws the idea that love is an emotion. It throws it out the window. It's gone. So as we look at what love is defined by God, I ask you, do you love? Do you really love? Do I really love? Love is patient. We're painting a picture. And kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things. That's God. That's why God is love. Those are very sobering verses to me. As I sit there and look at those verses, I wonder if it paints a picture of me We look at these two in a head to head. You see, here from verse uh, from 3 Corinthians 13, we see that love is patient, it's kind, it's truth, it embraces these things resilience, faith, hope, endurance, perseverance. Hope encompasses love, encompasses all these things. But it resists some other tendencies that mankind have. Do any of us struggle from any of these following? Envy, boasting, arrogance, rudeness, selfishness, anger, resentment and wrongdoing. Love stands in opposition to those. Stark contrast, day and night. In these verses, Paul's trying to tell us what we need to hold on to and grab a hold of what we need to let go of. And hopefully empowers us to learn to respond in true love instead of emotion. Because if we're honest, the ones on the right oftentimes are, are felt out of emotion. We're quick to lash out with our tongues because we can't control our emotions. We're rude because... You offended me. You hurt my feelings. And I can justify wrongdoing because you did wrong to me. You know, or you treated somebody that I love terrible. In the world we live in today, you can still love and And possess all those characteristics on the right and be just fine. But not according to God. Not according to His definition and standard of love. And that's the one I want to get right. I don't want to be led. I don't want to be owned, possessed by these things on the right because the love of God is not perfected within me. The things on the left are at times out of our comfort zone. Sometimes they don't make sense to us. Amen? I mean, you you hit me in the face, and I tell you what, if, if, if I'm still awake, if you hit me hard enough, but I'm still awake, if there's not a right hand coming back at you, be surprised. Right? Because our tendency is to fight back. If I can respond by turning the other cheek, that would be true love from God. But my tendency is going to be to throw you a right hook. These things are highly difficult. To love when you don't deserve a bit of it, it's highly difficult. Near impossible, (laughs) And challenging at every corner. But love, when God owns us, empowers us to respond, not by emotion, but by Him living in us. And one of the most challenging parts is that love isn't always fair. I think that's really important that we understand that not fair it doesn't seem fair that that I have to be you know bear all things that I must I must bear you got to bear my bad qualities at times that I might offend you tremendously you know in, in a horrible way and that you still have to look upon me with the love that God has for me. That's hard. It's hard. Love is not fair. It's not fair to us at times. It's not. And I'm thankful to God that it's it's not fair. And I mean that it doesn't always feel fair. Right? It doesn't always feel fair. It It doesn't feel fair that we might turn the other cheek or that we might you know, someone comes and takes something from us, we we offer them more, right? That doesn't, it's not fair. And so often, you know, we we respond out of a natural emotion of self-preservation. We'll get to that. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorites, says that we love, he defines it this way. He says, we lo- the love we are commanded to have for God and our neighbor is a state of will, not of the affections. I like the way Clint Black said it better, but that was pretty good too. So. Almost the same thing. So, why is love, why is it so difficult? So I say, why, why is it Why is it challenging? What is the biggest what stands in our way from loving the way that God wants us to? Any idea? And what keeps us? What makes it difficult when someone offends us to respond out of love instead of anger? What makes it difficult? What about us is makes why is it so hard to suffer but not to revile back? Why is it so difficult? Anybody any any ideas? This is what the Bible tells us. It's that because it's the love of ourselves that makes loving others so difficult. It's because we love ourselves too much. So, I want to give you some interesting verses about self love, so called self love. I want you to notice that the Bible never directly tells us to love ourselves. It's interesting you search the internet and uh, self love and, and books and about self love but I don't know that the Bible ever tells us to love ourselves I, I will say that it indirectly says it by a few verses that we'll get to in a second uh, we take care of our own needs right would anybody argue with me we take care of our own needs They are a priority. Uh, We put ourselves first. Our welfare, our needs, our desires, our ambitions, they they come first. Even before God at times. But certainly before others. The problem isn't that we don't love ourselves in society. The problem is that we love ourselves. My argument is that the problem is that we love ourselves too much. Too much. That's my argument. And I believe God's word is clear on that. Here's a few verses that are interesting the way they're put. And I think to speak to what we're talking about this morning. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And a second is like this You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the Bible doesn't. He's not directly coming out and saying that you're to love yourself and you're also to love your neighbor, right? What do we find, though, that it's we naturally love ourselves? Okay? We're not taught to love ourselves. It's by nature. We love ourselves. We take care of ourselves. We protect ourselves. But the Bible does say that we are to love others as we would love ourselves. The golden rule. Everybody knows it. But do we truly live by it? i found that I don't. Uh, a lot. Philippians 2 uh, speaks to the same thing. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. He doesn't say don't, don't look on your own interest." He doesn't say, you know, let yourself starve while you feed everybody else, he says, but look, as you look at your own interest, as you care for yourself, also care for others. Because I know, and I'm convinced that God knows that we are naturally going to care for ourselves. He doesn't have to go around telling us to feed ourselves, right? Protect yourself from danger, you know. But we do have to learn how to do that for others. This word conceit means excessive pride in oneself. Do nothing from selfish ambition or from excessive pride in yourself. So I believe that the greatest hindrance for truly loving the way that God intends for us to is the love for ourselves, our own conceitedness. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Again, a great love for ourselves, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying His power. Avoid such people. Avoid people that love themselves. That's thrown in there with uh, heartless or brutal, treacherous, reckless. That, That is put in the same category Being a lover of yourself is put in the same category as a heartless person. A treacherous, a brutal person. There's no distinction there. These are in opposition to God. In opposition, I believe, to the whole reason that He put us here. Self-love. Self love can have an appearance of godliness, but it denies its true power. As with most sin, it stems from this desire to please oneself and a lack of love for God and others. Hate, greed, envy, murder, strife, gossip, arrogance, pride all of those stem from a love of self because we we want to be somebody tough love this phrase uh, i've used in the past uh, some of us have, I really don't like the connotation behind it though. Uh, it almost has a negative, to some people it has a really negative connotation like tough love, you know, that's some people don't like it. But what I want to look at this morning is that the love of God can sometimes be tough. I want to paint a picture of what love can look like, some difficult love. I think it's important that we be real and honest about how love is used and that it's not butterflies and rainbows and sprinkles and pixie dust love is used in very, very powerful, transforming ways if it's done according to God's love, according to Him. So, let's look at some. Galatians 6 and 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. This requires a great deal of love. It's not it's not always easy, though. If anyone is caught in any transgression, if we love one another, then we ought to restore one another. We ought to have enough love for each other to go and speak the truth of God's word to restore a person. That's the kind of love that God wants us to have. That's hard, it's challenging. Let's look at another one in Matthew. <clears throat> says, if, you, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two with you uh, that, they, that every charge may be established by the evidence of some witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be counted as a Gentile or a tax collector. That's tough love. 1 Corinthians 5, first 6 verses. It's actually reported that there has been sexual immorality among you, the kind that even the pagans don't tolerate. And you are arrogant because. You ought to be mourning. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord do you not know that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump now I say all this because this is, this is love right? this is not the kind of love that the world teaches this is hard to have this kind of care and compassion and love for somebody that you can deliver their soul to Satan, that he might be restored—that's hard, man. That's hard. But this, this is the this is the picture of love that God paints that we have got to get right. It says, so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. This comes across as tough love. But the whole purpose is that his soul might be restored. Is it worth it to love somebody that much in order that his soul might be restored? And Paul even says, basically, you you haven't been loving because you allow this to go on. And I believe he says the last verse there because he says, you, you not only have you not shown Him love by correcting this, but you have, not, you have allowed the entire congregation to suffer and to be at fault. Because a little leaveneth affects the whole lump. That's hard love. That's hard love. But we have got to look at love's purpose, and its desired outcome is to restore him back to the faith. There may come a day where we have to remove somebody from this church. in order that their souls might be restored. Uh, I don't say that judgmentally. I hope you know that. I really want us to understand this idea of love as God intends for us to. We have an obligation or responsibility to protect the flock. For one, right, we owe that to the flock. That this leaven doesn't spread and leaven it the whole lump. That's. But God wants us to have that kind of love that does hard things, that challenges what's easy and comfortable to us. 2 Thessalonians says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in well doing or do not grow weary in doing well or good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. But listen, this is the crux, this is the kicker. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. That is that restorative property that we are trying to get after here. And you may wonder, well, what's he getting at? I'm not saying that about any of us. I'm just saying that we have got to have a proper perspective on what love really is and what it looks like. And to do it God's way the best we can. It is important to note that he says, do not regard him as an enemy. Don't, don't parade and, and throw him out and say, I want nothing to do with you ever again. But we say, we want better things for you. In order for that to happen, this has to happen. Warn him as a brother. Some tough love we find in 2 Samuel, this is some tough love. We'll paraphrase a little bit, but Nathan comes to David, uh, tells him a little, a little story. There were two men in a certain city, one was rich and one was poor, and the one had all kinds of stuff and many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing but this one little lamb. That he had bought, so if he was poor, he bought it, it was a big deal. And he brought it up and he grew it up and he fed it out of his own off his own plate, and he let it drink out of its own water and he let him sleep with him, which is gross. But this is what the guy that's the proof of how much this this little u you, lamb meant to this man. This is how valuable he was. But this Certain rich man had a visitor come, and the rich man didn't want to take one of his flock and sacrifice or kill and to take care of this visitor. So what he does is he goes and gets the ewe or the lamb from the poor man. Kills it up. Let's have dinner. And David, how dare he? You know, He's irate. It says in verse 5, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He's furious. I want you to listen to Nathan's next statement of love. David, that man is you. How hard would that have been to say to a man that could take your life in an instant he said, David, that man is you. But why, why did he love him so much so that he might be restored to a right relationship with God? <clears throat> James five nineteen twenty 20 says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and somebody bring him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Love can be hard. Love can even not look like love at times. That's what's difficult about it. You know, applying God's love doesn't always look like love. Because it doesn't always feel like love to receive it. You know, you kick me out of the church because of a a grievous sin. That's not going to feel like love to me. I'm going to criticize and mock you and say, you consider yourself a Christian and you treat me this way? That's why it's so challenging. And we have to be, we have to do it, we want to do it God's way the best we can. Over and over again, we find that if somebody wonders, they need truth and they need love. They need truth and they need love. But as we see in this, in this quote, uh, truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. So as we, as a church, and in our lives, and our relationships, as we apply love, let us understand the importance of applying truth with it, any and all circumstances. And as we apply truth to the outside world or to each other, let it always be seasoned with love. I can't, cannot stress that enough as we love the best we can, even in difficult situations like Nathan just experienced, or as we read in in the last few verses about requiring uh, somebody to leave the church, to not have anything to do with that person, that their soul might be restored. Love and truth have to be married. Uh, Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather speaking the truth in love, Oh, how important it is to speak the truth in love. And also to have the love that we ought to have, but in truth. Um, probably the most difficult aspect of love is that it's painful. You don't think of love as being painful. As a matter of fact, in society, it's almost opposite, right? Like, we equate... You know, if, if it does hurt, then it's certainly not love. You know, if you say something against me that, that, or call me out on a sin, well, that's not love. That's, you're, you're arrogant. You're prideful. How dare you call out my sin? But I'm here to say this morning that love can be painful. And I tell you, because love is who Jesus was, and love is why He hung on that cross. It was painful. Miserable. Not for one second could Jesus have thought, but this isn't best for me. Not for one second could He have that thought. Because love does not think that way. It can't. Jesus exemplified love. He exemplified who God is. And so I know that love is painful. What I'm saying is that in order for you to love the way that God wants you to, you will suffer some pain. You have to put your flesh aside and what feels good to you and say, yes, Lord. I'll take more. It's, I, you know, I stand up here, hate to say it, but it's true. Love is painful. He cried in the garden of Gethsemane. Yet he obeyed his father's voice to suffer because of love. Love is going to be painful. By this we know love. How can we even have a glimpse of love? How can we even have a conversation? How can I speak about love, but not for Jesus? By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. As we go into battle, into war, we run up to the enemy. We run together. And I'm willing to... Stand in front of a bullet, or you're willing to stand in front of a bullet to protect me. That's the kind of love, actual love, that we ought to have for one another, that we're willing to sacrifice ourselves. Now, it's easy when we stop and put it in terms of, well, you know, ah, I think about, like, well, if if, if Dwayne's on the road and I see a bus coming, I will run and I will push Dwayne out of that way of that bus, even if I get run over Right? We, can, we can think, in ter- or if someone walked in here, a gunman, I, Jason would stand up and take all the bullets for all of us. I have no doubt that he would do that. But what's difficult is when we say, will I, be, will I allow myself to be lower than this person in order to be loving? Right? Or will I allow my feelings to be hurt or my pride to go away in order that I might love the way that God intended those put into practice are much more difficult than these extreme versions of of putting ourselves out there for somebody. I'm talking about the daily sacrifice, wives, of respecting your husbands when you feel like they don't deserve it. Husbands, I'm talking about the daily sacrifice of loving our wives when we believe that they don't deserve our love. That's a lot harder. You know, we would all jump in front of a bullet for our wives. But will we suffer at times? Will we allow our pride, our arrogance to be put aside to love our wives? Wives, will you let go and let your husbands, in whatever the case may be, and put away your pride? Will you let him lead? Even if you disagree with his choice. These are hard things. But it's only love that can allow us to be able to make those decisions. It's only love that can allow a husband to love his wife the way that Christ loved the church. It's only love that allows a wife to be able to submit herself to her husband. It's it's love is the motivation behind that. Not because I'm good enough at loving or that you're good enough at submitting it's love love propels us to be able to do those things and it's christ's love for us ultimately god is love god is love and without that we are not in him and he is not in us and that's why i say over the last few months by chewing on this i've had to really self-examine myself as a husband It's tough. <clears throat> John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love had no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And I, I believe that a lot of us have had a lifelong friendship, or maybe have, we'll have a lifelong friendship. That means we have to lay our lives down for our friendship all the time. Not just once. We don't just... I don't just save Dwayne from the bus once, right? I'm willing to save him from the bus daily, if need be. I'm willing to suffer for his benefit daily, if need be. Uh, Love is hard. Love doesn't make sense and it can be painful. I know this because this is what we're told in uh, Matthew 5, it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This makes sense to us, right? It, it, the flesh, it appeases the flesh. It feels good. Uh, the person that deserves love, it's natural. I want to show love. But my enemy, this war, right? All-out war. And that makes sense. And that's okay. But Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you man that's uh, it's a whole whole different ball game so that so that right we have to do that we have to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven loving your enemies is going to be painful for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just And the unjust, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, may be perfect as your father is perfect. What about kids loving your parents? I mean, yeah, you love them when you agree with them or what they tell you feels good, right? But what about when they tell you something that you disagree with or something that causes you discomfort? Do you, are you still going to love them? you still going to respect them? That's what love calls us to do. That's what God requires of children to love and obey their parents in the Lord. Not when it's convenient, not when it feels right, but all the time. Tell me if you recognize this, or this, or this, or this. Where's Luke at? Luke's like, yeah, shout out to Luke. what are these well at the bottom right of this one you can see that TM I'm pretty sure that stands for trademark meaning that you don't get to copy and reuse this we look back through all these boom love it love it love it right what are all those those are trademarks those means those are owned by that company and you know them Unequivocally by that symbol. It is a type, a def- the definition is a type of intellectual property consisting of a recognizable sign, design, or expression that identifies that specific product or service and distinguishes it from all others. I submit to you this morning that as followers of Christ, love is our trademark. Love is our trademark okay? Yes. because we are of God. And by it, the world shall know us, the Bible says. Love is what separates us from the world. Love is what separates us from the world. Here's our trademark. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, I've always thought that, you know, when we're made in God's image, I've always kind of, you know, we can't really fully wrap our minds around that. We don't know exactly what that looks like. But I've always thought that it's like this God is a spirit, and we have a spirit. And I'm not saying that that's not true or accurate. But for the first time I've I've realized that I, I believe that it's love as much as anything else. Our connection to God is who he is. It's love. What other creation that God made has the ability to love as we do? Similarly, we have a spirit, a soul, unlike any other creation God made. We have the capability of loving. And that has been a profound thought to me. That love is possibly one of the strongest connections to God. And He gave it specifically to us. Now, I want to ask you some questions. A little self-examination here. You think, oh, I love, I, I love my parents, I love my wife, I love my kids, I love uh, some of my coworkers, <laughs> I love, you know, minus most of the people driving other cars on the way to work, I do a pretty good job of loving people. We're going to do some self-examination. So I ask, do I only love when I see a personal benefit? Do I only love when it doesn't cost me anything? Do I only love when it doesn't hurt? Do I only love when it's convenient for me? Do I only love when I have time? Do I only love when I feel loved? And do I only love when it's easy? These are, I know these are challenging questions, but hopefully they call into question whether we truly do love or not. When the rubber meets the road, when times get tough, and I say I'll stand in front of a bus or I'll take a bullet, do I? Will I? Am I willing to suffer for you? Am I willing to be last and let you be first? That's questions we all have to answer for ourselves. John tells us, says, Little children, let's not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Love is what binds us to God. Love is hard, and it can only be accomplished through Christ. I believe that's why Jesus said, no one goes to the Father except through me. And we read earlier that without love, we have no connection to God. We have no connection to Christ without love. Roman says an interesting phrase that I think I find really cool. He says, "To owe no man anything except love." Love that. Oh, no man anything except love. What does that mean? I am, I am, indebted to you, my love. I am in debt to you, my love. I owe that to you. You know, a lot of us, like myself included, I don't, if I owe somebody anything, money or what, I want to give it to them because I don't want that hanging over me. God says, owe no man anything except be indebted to him for love. That's powerful. I love that. He says, he goes on to say, for though for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. C. S. Lewis has another good one. I believe that. This idea of love, this topic that we've talked about this morning, the author G.K. Chesterton wrote, and I think it hits home, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been tried and found difficult. Loving according to God's standard, is diff- it can be difficult. That doesn't mean that we won't find a way to embrace it and actually enjoy it and love it, I think we will. I think we will grow to love it. I think we will. it will not be a burden to us when we feel the true value of it for eternity. Um, In this life, there may be troubles. There may be pain. There may be suffering. There may be a, a temporarily giving up of what feels right and best for you and for me, but it's worth it worth it. For the weight of eternity and glory is worth loving. Hopefully this gives us a proper biblical perspective on love. And hopefully it's straight from God's word and could not be more than truth. I hope it's helpful to somebody this morning. Uh, we'll stand in a second and have an invitation song. If you sit in the audience and think, if he's right, you know, about this love thing, and I, I have no, there's no appearance of love in me, then, you know, and you want to do something about it, now would be a good time. If you want to confess faults, sins, if you want prayers, if you desire to be one with God through love, uh, we offer this invitation. So come forward in the front pews while we stand and sing. I am a, Lord, a stranger while traveling through We